we continue in the Gospel of Mark. We are going to be in Mark 10, 17 through 22. We'll read it, we will be reading it first in readiness for partaking of communion together. So Mark 10, 17 through 22. As he, Jesus, was setting out on a journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. He said to him, Teacher, I have kept all of these since my youth. Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said, You lack one thing. Go sell what you own and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When he heard this, he was shocked and went away grieving, for he had many possessions. If I were going to title this interaction, much like we would title a painting or a play, I might say, Rich Man Seeks Jesus for Reassurance. Of course, we don't know when he first runs up to the Lord that he is rich. That comes later in the story. But picture this scene in your mind. Jesus, a poor traveling preacher who is not anything special to the religious establishment, is literally stopped on his way out the door by a wealthy man who clearly has a question in his mind that he would like answered. The interaction doesn't start out very promising. The man, either in an effort to flatter or else to find commonality, calls Jesus a good teacher. In a foreshadowing moment, this should be our first clue that the discussion is not going to end well. Jesus reacts against being called good. No one is good, he says, except God alone. He does not allow the man to put a value on his teaching or his character. We may think this is a small matter and wonder why Jesus doesn't just let it go. Is it wrong to be called good, we ask? Or does the Lord react because this is the beginning of trying to help change how the man sees things? The question he asks is about eternal life. This is a question many people ask. What needs to happen in order for us to have eternal life? We wonder why he's asking the question. What is bothering him that he is coming to seek the Lord for this answer? What is he afraid of? What is he truly asking? Is he wondering if he's really doing enough? Jesus says to the man, you know the commandments. You know what we're taught. When we read this list from Moses, they are the ones that teach us how to treat one another. Our horizontal relationships that Jesus later distills into love your neighbor. As you love yourself. These are God's ideal for how his people should live. By pointing to them, Jesus is affirming how important they are. 
And the man tells Jesus, well, yeah, of course, I've always kept those. But this leads to a new direction in the conversation. While he has done what is necessary, he's still there. He doesn't leave, okay, I got it, great. Because there's still something bugging him. Maybe he feels like something is missing. You see, the understanding of something not being right in a spiritual life, in his spiritual life, could have been what caused him to seek Jesus to begin with. He has done what is required, but there's something happening on the inside that he wants reassurance for. There's doubting God, and there is knowing that there is something wrong with us. Something wrong with our faith. They can happen at the same time, but they are not the same. What Mark records next is so comforting, but it doesn't show up for the man that way. In the middle of the interaction, we get a glimpse into the very heart of God. Jesus has tenderness for this man who is trying to find his way. Jesus loves him. He has created him. He knows him intimately. The Lord knows what the problem is. He understands what is causing this man to worry. And before the truth is uttered, Mark wants to make sure that we know that Jesus loves him. Jesus will tell the man what is necessary, even though it will be painful. Love speaks truth. Jesus tells him what is lacking. He needs to go and sell his stuff and give the money to the poor and then come back and follow him. Go, sell, give, follow. So let's think about a few things here. One is how Jesus did not remind the man of the commandments that he left out. The commandments about loving God. He mentions the ones of how we are to treat one another. But maybe the other ones is what make up the core of the man's struggle. The first commandment is the foundation for the rest of them. You shall have no other gods before me. This is meant to keep a broken humanity focused on the God who is over all. The one who lives in majestic splendor, who is holy and mighty and the only one we can call good. It is meant to keep us focused on worshiping Yahweh only, to protect us from idolizing anything else. That leads to the second commandment about not bowing down to an image or a false god that we have made. There is only one God. And whatever power we give anything else is the power that we ourselves have given it. Jesus asks the man to sell everything because this is what is stopping him from fully embracing God's kingdom. Next week, we're going to talk about wealth. But for now, we want to think about those things in our life that have become more important than God. Knowingly, or unknowingly. If Jesus looked at you with great love and told you what was interfering in your worship of him, what would it be? He is the God who made you. 
and knows you better than you know yourself. If our hearts are a treasure box and that box was opened, what would be there? Often we say, oh, I wish the Lord would just tell us what he wants from us. I wish he would just spell it out. That's exactly what happens in this story. And the man doesn't want to hear it. Idolatry is a serious issue in our lives. Have you ever noticed how often Jesus says that we have to give up our life in order to follow him? But have you ever actually heard someone say, yeah, you know, the cost of following Jesus is too high. Nope, not going to do it. I'm going to give my allegiance over there. I'm going to do that instead. I've been a Christian a long time. I've never heard anyone say that. Verbally. It's ultimately what the rich man here, though, communicates with his actions. That the cost is too high and he's not going to do it. In fact, he is shocked that Jesus would even suggest such a thing. Shocked that Jesus would say, you have to give up everything you own. See, God is shocking to us in his holiness, in his perfection, in his goodness. He says things to us that we don't want to hear. He says, this is interfering in your relationship with me. This is interfering in how you understand my love. And we say, Lord, that shocks us. I don't want to hear that. What do our actions say about how we worship? What do our lives say about what we worship? You see, idolatry is giving our best to anything other than God, putting something above what should be given to him, giving power that rightfully should be his. At the end, we might retitle this story, Rich Man Seeks Jesus for Assurance But Goes Away Grief-Stricken. Grief-stricken as if something had died. Grief-stricken, but he himself is not willing to die to himself. There's a huge contrast in how he enters the scene and how he exits. Still discontent, no longer excited, unwilling to let go of something that is binding his very soul. So today, we have come into the sanctuary of God. We also are seeking the Lord. We come with humility, hopefully asking him to examine our heart, saying we want to agree with you about the state of our soul. We understand that our lives are a mix of your love and your truth, and we don't want to just take your love and ignore the truth that you want to say to us, even though it's hard. So our prayer in this time is that we would listen that we would have a different reaction than the rich man had, that we might stop and we might say to ourselves, what is truly hindering our following of the Lord? As we approach the cross where Jesus died, we have to ask ourselves if we are willing to continue to die for ourselves. It is not just a one-time thing. We have to be open to showing him and asking him, 
Lord, what is it that you have for us? Christ has shed his blood and died in our place. And then he asks in return that we surrender and that we surrender again. As we take communion this morning, you don't have to be a member of this church or any church to receive it. This is a sacred moment of repentance as we remember what Jesus has done on our behalf. Every day is a day that we can begin again, but especially communion where we let go of whatever it is that we have allowed to come before God. And we say to him that we want him to be first in our lives, no matter what the cost is. This morning, we will recite the short liturgy together, and then the pastors will uh, serve you. You can come to the front, receive the elements, and then go to uh, pray and kneel or take the elements back to your seat. The crackers are gluten-free. In this moment, I want us to be honest with the Lord and allow him to speak his truth and love to us. Thank you for listening. If you would like to learn more about the Free Methodist Church of Santa Barbara, you can visit us online at fmcsb.org. We pray this message has been a blessing to you.